Good morning. So good to see everybody on this Resurrection Sunday. What a great day for some good news. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, the disciples had just come out of the upper room after um, Jesus had resurrected and ascended back to the Father, and he told them to go back and wait on him because he was going to send the Holy Spirit. So they were there waiting, and Jesus did what he said he was going to do and sent the Holy Spirit, and all the apostles were filled, and they stepped outside and began acting different than they were when they walked into that room. They were speaking in other languages and just... Um, just different, and people could see that. And there was a big crowd in Jerusalem, and they saw them acting this way, and they were wondering what in the world was going on with them, accusing them of being drunk and all kinds of things. And so Peter, the one who had just days before denied even knowing Jesus because he was such a coward, has now received the Holy Spirit, and a big change has taken place in him. And uh, he stands up in front of this big crowd and begins to preach, and we're going to pick up with what he was saying in verse 22. Acts 2, verse 22, let's all stand together as we read this. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power." For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of the descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day, just the opportunity to come together like this, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come, Lord, as you did that day with the apostles so long ago, and you would do in us what only you can do. Jesus, let your name be glorified in here. Let us see you for who you are. Just do the work in us you intend to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I've been praying about this day all week, and my prayer has pretty much been that 
the resurrection of Jesus would become real to us. And what I mean by that is that it would become something more than just a historical event that we pay homage to. That it would be even more than something that we gather together and affirm our belief in. Because if that is all that the resurrection is to us, then today is no different and no more special than any other special day in any other religion. Every religion has a significant day that it deems more important than all the other days of the year. A day that commemorates a major event in the history of that religion. The difference, though, between them and the resurrection of Jesus is that the resurrection is more than just a historical event. It is something that, in a way, still continues. Here's an example of what I mean. How many of you have ever seen a video of a large explosion taken from a good distance away? And sometimes on that video you can see once the explosion happens, there's a shock wave that just goes out from it. And that shock wave affects things that are a long ways away from that explosion. I actually have a video for you to see an example of what I'm talking about. So watch, now look at coming across the ground there. The, look, keep looking at the ground. You'll see the shockwave moving, and then the camera shakes. That's what I'm talking about. Now, what's neat is once the initial explosion happened, you couldn't hear it. But as soon as that shockwave hit, that's when you hear the big boom. The reason why we couldn't have audio in it is because sometimes when a shockwave hits you hard and unexpectedly, things come out of your mouth that you don't expect to say. And these were a bunch of soldiers here. And so when that shockwave hit them, they said some things that wouldn't be appropriate in a setting like this. (laughs) So even though they weren't actually there at the side of the explosion, they were a good distance away, but the shockwave from that explosion still affected them in a powerful way. I believe that's essentially what is happening with the resurrection of Jesus. It is so big and so powerful that the shockwaves of it still reverberate over 2,000 years later just as strong as they were on the day that it happened. And when those shockwaves hit us, it completely changes our lives forever. And so this is what my prayer has been, that we would be hit Hard by the shockwaves of the resurrection today. So I just wanted to give some of you a heads up because I know that God has had this in mind for some of you. And uh, I believe that he is going to answer that prayer. And so if you get hit by it, things may just unexpectedly come out of your mouth too. But it's going to be praise to God. You know, I believe some of you came here today just thinking you were just going through the regular once a year Easter motions. But God's got something so much bigger in store for you, and so I just want to encourage you to be open to it and receive whatever it is he has. So what does the resurrection mean for us today? Well, it's impossible to completely unpack all of that in just one sermon, and truthfully, it's impossible to to unpack all the ramifications of what the resurrection means uh, in a lifetime. It would take us all of eternity to discover everything about what it means and thankfully God has given us just that he's given us all of eternity to continue to discover 
the amazing things that Jesus has done. And, and folks, that's really what the Christian life is. I mean, it's not trying to be good so that God will like you. The Christian life is discovering every day the incredible things that we have in Jesus because of his death and, and resurrection. We get to discover those things, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day of the year. And those shockwaves don't just hit us one time at the moment of salvation, and that's it. They continue to come over and over again as the Holy Spirit gives revelation to us to some truth about what Christ has done. So if I listed all that the resurrection means, then we would be here for a very long time. So I'm just going to highlight three specific ones that I felt the Lord wanted me to focus on. And these are in your bulletin there. If you're visiting here in your bulletin, we usually have uh, sermon notes for you to follow along with. And these three things will be in there. The first meaning that I believe is important for us to know is that the resurrection of Jesus means all of the Old Testament promises have been fulfilled. And that's one of the points that Peter was trying to make in his first sermon that we read there in Acts 2. He kept quoting Psalms, showing how David was pointing to Jesus even way back then. And I don't just mean that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promises that, that we know were specifically about him. He fulfills all of them, even the ones that we don't really realize are about him because everything in the Old Testament, all the promises and prophecies are ultimately about him. In Acts 13, Paul stands up in a Jewish synagogue. And in verse 32 and 33, he says, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised Jesus up. In Luke 24... It's the account of Jesus appearing to the two men walking down the road to Emmaus. It's after he has been resurrected, and they don't know it's him. They don't recognize him, but they invite him in, and uh, he just begins explaining things to them. And in verse 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, the only scriptures that they had available to them at that time was the Old Testament. And so it's saying Jesus was explaining to them the things concerning himself in all of the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. All of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Not just some of the promises, but all of them. Jesus is what the Old Testament was about and what the Old Testament was always pointing to. He is the ark that we find protection in from the flood of God's wrath. He is the seed promised to Abraham through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He is the waters that parted so that we could escape from slavery to freedom. He is the blood over the doorpost that saves us from death. He is the good land promised to his people. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the unlikely hero who killed the giant of sin and death. He is the cloud that ascended on the mountain in thunder and light. 
lightning. He is the temple that housed the manifest presence of God on earth. He is restored Israel. He is the stone that crushed the statue in the book of Daniel, bringing all nations under his authority. He is what all of history had been about and what all of history had been waiting on. Now, why is it important for us to know this? Because knowing that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises keeps you from living in some state of suspension and allows you to live fully in the moment right now. We don't have to live in limbo as if we're waiting on something big to happen. Something big has happened and we get to be a part of it. That's why 2 Peter 2.3 says he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. There is nothing for you now to have to wait on or to have to hope to get. It has all been done, given, and accomplished through Jesus. It's like this. Um, To me, the hardest position on a football field, I think, would be to play wide receiver. I mean, seriously, because 90% of the time, they're just running wind sprints the whole game. They go down and run a route and come back. Run as fast as they can, come back. Run another route, come back. The whole time just hoping that they get the ball thrown to them. And they keep running these routes knowing that there's a chance that they will get that ball. And that's what they're playing for. But the majority of the game, they're just running a route and coming back. Running a route and coming back. But when they finally do get that ball thrown to them and they catch it, well now everything changes. They're not just coming back and running another route. They're not just going through the routine anymore. No, they've got the ball now, so they've got to do something with that. And so that now everything has changed for them. They now have an opportunity to have an impact on the game. But that's how I think many Christians are living when we don't know what we have in Jesus. We're just going through the motions. We're just running the routes of life, hoping that something big might actually happen at some point. But here's the problem with that. If you don't realize what it is that you have and don't believe that there are things of God that you'll have, then the tendency is for you to try to buy it, earn it, or beg for it in some way. So many people seem to be burned out on living the Christian life, and it's no wonder because so many are trying to do things and earn things and accomplish things that Jesus has already done. Folks, if you were in Christ, guess what? You've got the ball. You no longer have to just go through the motions in life. You have it all. He fulfilled everything for you. Now you've got to do something with that. Man, you get to do something with that. You get to have an impact on the game of life in a huge way. We no longer have to wait on something or hope to get something from God. I'm telling you right now, because of what Jesus has done, you have everything. Everything more than you could ever imagine or hope to get. And it also means that all of those promises of God... If they are fulfilled in Jesus and we are in him, then all those promises are yours. They belong to you. So when God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, guess what? That's yours. That's your promise. When he promised in 2 Chronicles 
I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That promise is yours. But you know what? He wasn't talking about physical land. He wasn't talking about some nation. He's talking about the land of your life. And because Jesus has fulfilled that promise, you can read that with thankfulness in your heart, knowing now that the land of your life is healed. It is healed. So instead of hoping that God will do something, you can live your life as just praise and worship to him, knowing that he has done something huge. The second thing that the resurrection means is that Jesus has done for you what you aren't able to do for yourself. Acts 13, 38 and 39 says this, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law of Moses, of course, is the Ten Commandments and all those other Old Testament laws associated with that. The law was all about earning and remaining in good standing with God through obedience and good behavior. The thing is, God gave us the law to show that we don't have an obedience problem. We have a heart problem. A heart problem. See, we all come into this world with a problem that obedience, good behavior, and good intentions will not fix. Will not fix it at all. The problem is that we are absolutely broken by sin. And you don't have to be a genius to see that we live in a world full of broken people. And there's brokenness all around us. That's why there's so much chaos and trouble in the world today. People are broken, and we know that we're broken. And so we try all kinds of ways to fix our brokenness. In the Old Testament, they tried to fix it by following the Ten Commandments, but they couldn't do it. It was impossible to live up to perfectly. And they knew that they weren't able to, and so all that they had left was the hope that their effort to obey it would be good enough. I mean, they just lived hoping that when it was all said and done, that the times that they obeyed the law would outweigh the times that they disobeyed the law, and God would let them in based on that. But you know what? That is still the way many people are living today. More than likely, some of you in here. It's just our default nature to assume that's how it works. You're just hoping that when it's all said and done and you're standing before God, that he'll see that the good things that you did in life outweigh the bad. And he'll let you in. You're just hoping that God would see how hard that you were trying to be good. And his grace will let you in based on that. Folks, I'm telling you right now, if that's where your hope has been, you're in big trouble. You're in trouble. Your hope is in vain because it doesn't matter how good you've been. That is not the standard that God will judge you by. And the reason is because you don't have a behavior problem. You have a heart problem. And only Jesus is a remedy for the heart. Some of you may be bound up in addiction bound up in a difficult marriage, in pornography, bound up in a whole list of things that I could go through. And you tried everything you can to free yourself of those things. And maybe you've done what a lot of people do. 
And that is when we have one big sin that we tend to struggle with over and over, we try to make up for it by doing a whole bunch of good stuff. Volunteering for stuff in the church or really getting busy and, and being really, really good so that it will make up for that just, just that one bad thing that we really struggle with. Or to just at least try to appease the guilt that we have over that. But folks, that is living life by the law. And only Jesus frees you from those things which you cannot be freed through the law. The resurrection of Jesus means that if he can break the bondage of death of all things, any other bondage is a piece of cake to him. If he can break the bondage of death, then the bondage of addiction is nothing for him. The bondage of a difficult marriage, he can break that. And you still being together. And it be a great marriage. He can break the bondage of all that you can't seem to break your own self from. And then lastly, the resurrection of Jesus means that our identity crisis has, is solved. One of the reasons people struggle so much in life and have some of the problems that they have is simply because they don't know who they are. God created every one of us with a need for a secure identity. It's not that we just want to know who we are. We need to know who we are. And who you are has everything to do with where you're going and your purpose in this world. And if you don't know who you are, then you're just left flailing in the wind with no clear direction or purpose in this world at all. And that leads to frustration. And so many people are just living their lives as a result of the frustration that they have had for so long, just trying to find out who they are and where their place is in this world. God didn't just create us with that need. He also designed something to serve as a foundation to provide for it. So it's one of the reasons why he created and structured the family unit the way that he did. A child gets their identity from their parents and primarily from the father. A kid will believe whatever their father says about them, whether it's good or bad, no matter how that is communicated. Dads, everything we do, we are communicating to our kids who they are. Even in our absence, we're communicating to our kids who they are. One of the tragic consequences of the breakdown of the family in our society is that it leaves so many people without that identity. They don't have that foundation from which we get our identity from, and so they're left on their own to try to figure out who they are. And that's why all these ancestry websites and services are so popular right now, because people are desperate to have some kind of connection to the past and to the family in order to find out who they are. Try to discover where, what their story is, where they fit into all this. And without knowing who you are, you try to build your identity on the shallowest and silliest of things. How many Facebook likes you get, Snapchat score, your job, your possessions. Things that don't last at all and can be gone just like that. 
Maybe some of you didn't have that father who affirmed a secure identity in you. Maybe you come from a broken family. I'm telling you right now, that doesn't mean there's no hope for you. Because, see, the only reason that God designed the family like that and he created fathers or, or kids to wired in order to get their identity from their father is so that it would all ultimately point to him. So it would all point to him. You have the father who affirms who we really are. Who the Bible says he puts the lonely in families. So you don't really need a solid earthly family in order to have a secure identity if you are in Christ. He provides all of that for you. The resurrection of Jesus means that he has solved our identity crisis. The thing is, I could stand here all day long and tell you who you are in Christ. But you're not really going to believe it and be able to receive it unless you hear it from the Father. When Jesus first started his ministry, there was one thing that God made sure that he did before Jesus did anything. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he came up out of the water and God declared in front of everybody from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so before Jesus started his ministry, the Father made sure that instead of filling his mind with instruction, he filled his heart with affirmation of who he was. Make sure that he knew who he was to have that identity, and it is from that that Jesus was able to successfully execute the mission that he came here to accomplish. You won't truly believe who you are until you hear it from the Father. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap this up by just letting the Father's Word speak for itself. You see, our lives are forever changed when we really begin to understand who Jesus is, what He has done, and who we are in Him. When we get that, it changes everything. And so I'm just going to read what the Father says about all that. And so I just want you to just listen, close your eyes if it helps you, and just allow his words to wash over you and to sink into your heart. He brought you out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set your feet upon a rock, making your footsteps firm. He put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise to our God. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You have been introduced by faith into this grace in which you stand and you exult in the hope of the glory of God. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You have no condemnation. For the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who now dwells in you. 
You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he chose you in him before the foundation of the world so that you would be holy and blameless before him. You have redemption through his blood. You have the forgiveness of your sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on you. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of your inheritance. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are washed. You are purified. You are being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You are formerly far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are commended as a servant of Christ in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. You are regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, but behold, you live, as punished, but not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Though your outer self is decaying, your inner self is being renewed day by day, producing a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You are afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in your body. You have been given authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Before he formed you in the womb, he knew you and predestined to conform you to the image of his son. You are called, you are justified, you will be glorified. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for you, how will he not also in him freely give you all things? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are clothed with Christ. The one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The one who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The one by whom all things were created. Both in heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ Jesus is the one who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for you, and nothing will separate you from his love. You belong to the one who will come again on a white horse, the one called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, will follow him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp 
sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing another song before we leave and while we're doing that I just want to encourage you I want to give you the opportunity that if God is speaking to you this morning if you know that you are hit by one of those shockwaves of the resurrection I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that if you're here this morning and you've been so far away from God living your own life and you know for a fact that he is calling you back home to him you come let one of us know we'll have leaders down here on these front rows to pray with you just come let us know we'll pray with you tell you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus not just a life of trying to be good but a real life of who you are in him the kind of abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give us and I know the Holy Spirit is here and he's working in people's hearts and 
Whatever you need to do to respond to that, we want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and then this time is open for you to respond however you feel that he's leading. Join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have done it all, that you have given us all. Lord, I pray right now, God, that some of those bondages I was talking about, Lord, would be broken in here today. That this Easter Sunday would be like no other for someone's life. That this would be a defining moment in someone's life where they had a real life encounter with the creator of the universe. So, Lord, I pray that repentance and freedom would just be let loose in this play, that salvation would happen. God, that people just receive revelation of who you are. God, who they've been made in you. Jesus, we thank you that this is real. We can praise you for it, that we can live this out. So, Holy Spirit, come and let your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.